Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, today we are starting this uh, brand new series, and if you, if you are new, not only do we want to welcome you, but also uh, inside your program, you'll definitely want to pull out a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. That'll help you follow along, and so if you want to pull that out, uh, I'm all set and ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to hear what you're doing in our church in so many ways, doing it in our lives. Most of all, we're excited about you and this growing passion in our life for you to really pursue you with a whole heart and be transformed to be like you and then be used by you to transform this world around us. And so we pray that today as we come and we enter in this whole new series, The Power Perspective, that you would uh, change our way of looking at life and who you are, who we are, our calling in the world, that we would be transformed uh, to be a force for you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we are starting a brand new series. It's called The Power of Perspective, Changing the Way You Think. Now, if you're a brand new here, let me step back, just give you a big picture. Uh, this series is actually kind of a, a sub-series of another longer series that we've been in since March. And it's, it's on a, this whole series is based on a, a study of a letter from a man that we call the Apostle Paul to a church that he'd started about five years before in the southern tip of Greece. It was a major metropolitan seaport, uh, major city in the ancient world, kind of L.A. meets Las Vegas meets uh, uh, New York, uh, very east versus west uh, cosmopolitan city, uh, and the name of the city was Corinth. And so Paul had come in there about five years before. In fact, that city is still there today, uh, not the same size and dimension, but still there. And he'd gotten into this city. He shared the message of Jesus uh, for the very first time. People had come to faith, come to Christ, given their lives to Christ, uh, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, started their spiritual journey. And then Paul was there for about a year and a half. And then after that year and a half, he needed to leave and go share Christ other places. And so he did. But in the, in the years since then, he has written back multiple times and written them letters to help guide them and mentor them in their new relationship with Christ. And so we have several of them. We have two of those letters. There's many more written, but there's two of the, the letters we have. They make up part of our New Testament, and we call them 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So this series, we've been studying 2 Corinthians, and this particular series we're entering right now, we're focusing on the last four chapters, uh, chapters 10 through 13 that finish out this letter. Now, if you've been here throughout the series, you, you may remember this way back at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. That we talked about this, that when a man or woman comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they, they enter into a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We call it the new covenant, a new covenant relationship. And remember we said that there's certain gifts that we receive uh, as gifts of the covenant. And so there was a gift, first of all, of forgiveness of sins, that all crimes against the king are forgiven as a result of entering into this new covenant with God. Uh, secondly, there was a new knowledge of God, a firsthand experiential knowledge of God in our life, that we come to truly know God in a firsthand way. The third thing was that we, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who comes to live inside of us, to, to, to lead us and guide us and change us from the inside out, to transform us so we can become like Jesus, be the people we were created to be. But as we've learned through this series, that this change is not automatic, that if we're going to grow and become like Christ and live this life we're called to live, that, that we have to uh, learn how to listen and follow the leading of the Spirit. Remember that? Listen and follow. And so now Paul's going to take that to the next level. And he's going to say that when we come to Christ, we need to learn to listen and follow, not just the individual specific leading of the Spirit, like, like at the 9 o'clock service that week, that young man who just felt like God's been calling him for two weeks to be baptized. So he listened and he followed. That there, not just that kind of listening and following, but in order to experience life that God has for us, that we have to learn how to really kind of be renewed in the whole way we think, that we have to have a whole new mindset. Like, like, let me ask you a question, no show of hands, uh, uh, this rhetorical question, but just keep thinking. Like, have you ever known a person who has come to Christ, accepted Christ as their Savior, but their life is totally messed up all the time? Okay, right? Anyone know anyone like that? You're like, everyone else is like, yeah, yeah. I know. Okay, uh, so, so it's possible, right? It's possible to come to Jesus to trust in him for our salvation, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and yet to go through life totally messed up. Our marriage is totally messed up. Our parenting's messed up. Our finances are messed up. 
theologically, the truth about life, we're messed up. We just don't get it. It's, it's very possible. And, and the way this happens is because when well, we've come to Christ and received his spirit, we've never learned to change the way we think. And so we're Christians, but we still do life the way we used to do it. We do marriage the way we saw our parents do it. We handle finances the way our brother handles them. We, we have friends in our life who speak. We have our culture speaking into our life. And so we've never been transformed because we've never learned to change the way we think. Does this make sense? And so in this series, Paul's going to talk about this. He's going to say, you know what? When we become a follower of Jesus, we entered into kind of a renewed higher level of spiritual warfare. And there's a battle for our minds. Because the enemy knows that if he can control the way you think about life, he can control you. And you see, that's the way he controls the world. And so, and so today, the first topic on the table then is a spiritual warfare, the battle for our minds. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Or maybe you've got it on Bible on your phone or iPad or, or some other tablet. Go ahead and turn there. And uh, we're going to walk through uh, this passage today, all of chapter 10. Uh, there in your note sheet, there's the section about uh, spiritual warfare, a whole new mindset. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to focus in, especially on the first six verses and then the last couple verses of chapter 10. Uh, if you're a regular here, you know it's normally just kind of walk through verse by verse at the start of a message. And I would love to do that, but, but by, uh, just for sake of time today, we don't have time. In fact, last service I went over long, and so you're probably in for it already. But uh, anyway... Uh, so let's kind of jump through, and so I'll, I'll, we're going to walk through the first six. I'll kind of give you an overview of what happens in the next verses, and then we'll, we'll finish out the last two. So Paul says, by the, the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And so in the, in the Greek, uh, you, you can use the word humility there, by the, by the humility and gentleness of Christ. So think with me. Uh, I don't know if you ever do this, but in your Bible, I love to make cross-references. When one verse kind of reminds you of another verse, you know, you make a little, kind of like just a little cross there by the, by the word or something, you know, with the margin, you, you kind of put your cross-reference where it is. If you do that, uh, if you put a cross-reference, it's Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. Uh, in Matthew 29, 11, 29, 30, Jesus makes this famous, famous statement. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and kind of burned down in life. And he said, and because I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart and I will give you rest. Uh, so I, I will lead you well. And so Paul starts off this here. He says, you know, by the humility, the gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I'm not commanding you, but I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am, quote, timid when face to face with you, but, quote, bold when away. Now, the question is, what's he talking about? So let's set it up. Uh, let, let's go back to what we know about this story. Paul comes in, right? He starts a church. They're a year and a half, uh, then leaves, been mentoring them. Uh, early in, in the book, we learned that in, in chapter two, we learned that Paul had gone to visit them a second time. If you've been here in this series, you probably remember this. Remember this, that there was a rogue leader who had risen up in the church to take over the leadership of the church. The church was totally messed up. Sexual sin, factions, wrong teaching, but, but the church had really bought into this new leader. And so Paul comes in and he just senses, you know, if, if I just attack this head on and pull out my kind of both barrels apostolic authority, I could destroy this church. It would just kind of tear this church apart. So he really decides in an act of great humility just to leave kind of quietly. It, it looked like it was very weak, but it just felt like it was the right thing to do. So he left. He goes back to the city of Ephesus where he'd come from. He writes a, a, a very uh, kind of direct, confrontational, strong, uh, uh, painful letter where he calls them out. You need to come back to Christ. You need to get rid of this leader. You need to put him out of your church. You need to come back under apostolic authority here. And so he, he makes a strong plea, right? And so fortunately, the letter worked, and the church, for the most part, came back to Christ, got rid of this rogue leader, and in chapter 7 of the letter, we learned that Titus, who is Paul's right-hand man, had just come back with the good news that the church is back on track. But what we're going to learn in chapter 10 is not, it all is as well, not, not all is as well as it seemed back in chapter 7. 
that it appear that most of the church has come back and under Paul's leadership, but there's still all these issues that have to be dealt with. And in particular, there's these new teachers that have come into the city, and they're making accusations against Paul. And they're, they're kind of promoting themselves as, we're amazing. They're tearing down Paul. And one of their accusations is, how could Paul really be an apostle of Jesus? How could Paul, being led by the Spirit, look how he dealt with this situation when he came. He was just like a weakling. You know, so he writes these amazing, strong letters. Yeah, but when he's actually here, he's not much. He, he's not much of a speaker. He doesn't deal with issues. And so how can the power of Jesus be evident? It's like, this was the accusation that was coming. And that's what Paul is responding to in this verse. verse. He says, by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am, quote, timid when face to face with you, but bold went away. That was the accusation. And so he says, I beg you, verse 2, that when I come, I may not have to be as bold or strong or forceful as I expect to be towards some people, these critics, who think that we uh, as apostles live by the standards of this world, or literally in the Greek, who walk according to the flesh. And so he says, listen, uh, I, I realized when I was there, uh, I was very humble, and I was, it was the humility of Christ that allowed me to do that. But he said, uh, I, I'm coming back this third time and you really need to get your act together. Because if you don't, this time the church is in a different spot. You've come back under my leadership, under Christ's leadership. And this time, I'm hoping I don't have to be as bold and strong as I think it's going to be required. So he's kind of giving him, he's kind of like, hey, dad is coming home. You know, it's time to clean up the house. Uh, so in verse 3, he says, for though we live in the world, this fallen world, we do not wage war as the world does. You know, manipulation, lies, deceit. This is what the critics were saying. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So he's introducing this concept of spiritual warfare. On the contrary, they have divine or supernatural power to demolish strongholds. And so Paul is introducing this imagery, this analogy that he often uses in his writings of spiritual warfare. That when a man or woman comes to Jesus Christ, we switch sides in this war that's going on behind the scenes. Before we were under Satan's dominion, before we were under his rule, he is called the ruler of this world. He controls the thought patterns of this world, right? So he's, he's kind of the ruler of this world. And before we came to Jesus, we were under his power. We thought like the rest of the world. We were living in what Paul calls the kingdom of darkness, when we came to Jesus, the light began to go on, and we were transferred into the kingdom of light. And so we've kind of broken out of the kingdom of darkness. But in order to continue to grow spiritually, we have to continually take more ground. We, we have to continually move towards the light. We have to change the way we think. And so what Paul is saying is his role as an apostle is to go against these thought patterns, these philosophies, these uh, mental outlooks, these perspectives that are very common in our world that are contrary to the truth about who God is and how life works. That his job is to go in like a, like a general in a war and tear down those fortresses of thought. And, and once he's broken down the walls, he's to take those thoughts that are against God and he's to bring them back under the authority of King Jesus so that they're uh, revealed for what they, they are. That, that's the idea. And so he says here in verse uh, 5, um, he says, we demolish arguments. And in the Greek, there's a little word there called logismos. And, and logismos is where we get our word logic from. Okay? So this world has a logic. The world has a reasoning. This world has a perspective, a mindset, a point of view, a value system, a priority system. This world has it. And Paul says, our job is to demolish that, to demolish arguments that are, uh, that are, that are uh, and he goes on, in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against the truth about life. And so he says, and then he uses this powerful phrase, we take captive every thought. Now he's talking about his role as an apostle. These new teachers are coming in. Paul says, we're going to tear down that teaching. We're going to take captive every thought, bring it under the authority of Jesus, um, and make it obedient to Christ. Verse 6, and we will be ready when we come. We will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So what he's saying is, last time he didn't punish every act of disobedience because the church was not in a place. 
But now they're coming under the authority of Jesus. When he comes back, he'll strengthen that, make sure we're all on the same page, and then he's going to deal with all this rebellion and issues that are going on in the church. Now, from this point on in this chapter, Paul begins to give us some insight into these new teachers that have come. And we're not going to go through verse by verse, but I'm just going to walk you through a big picture, and you can read it uh, on your own. So, so here's what we're going to learn. is that these new teachers have come into town. One thing that we know about the ancient world, and we'll talk about it in a couple weeks more in detail, but we often don't understand this, but in our culture today, humility is a high value, isn't it? Like, like if you had a politician got up and just went on and on, I've done this, I've done that, I've done, I mean, there's a certain limit, right? It's like, oh, that's inappropriate, right? An athlete gets up, he can only kind of toot his own horn for a certain way. Like, we respect people that are, that they've accomplished a lot, but they're humble about it. Here's what you need to understand. The reason that's the way it is in our culture is because of the coming of Jesus Christ. That he is, the, the teaching of Jesus has so influenced our Western culture that even though as a culture we're so far from God, that cultural value is still carried on. Before Jesus, it wasn't like this. If you look at the Egyptian, Roman, Greek world, they were very quick to, and it was assumed and considered fine, to, to kind of toot your own horn, to, like, to be your own press agent. And so these new, these new teachers had come into town, and they were marketing themselves. We're amazing. We've had these spiritual experiences. We're from a Jewish background. We're very educated. We're gifted speakers, and they were gifted speakers. And in the ancient world, one of the major forms of entertainment, their media, was public speaking. It didn't really matter what you were saying, just could you say it really well. And so uh, it, was, it was a major form of entertainment. It was called rhetoric. It was one of the three major areas you'd be trained on in, in education. And so they were amazing speakers. So they're just, they're building themselves up. We're amazing. And, and then they're, they're tearing down Paul. And they look at, hey, Paul is so proud. He's making these boasts about he's this apostle. But look at him. He's really weak. He's not being led by the Spirit. Look how he handled himself last time he was here. He didn't even deal with these issues. He's, he's a lousy speaker. Uh, he just, they're just, you know, he writes these harsh, these strong letters. He's a great writer. But man, his, his personal, impre- personal presence, he's very unimpressive. He doesn't have the, the courage to deal with things. And so that's what's going on. Okay, so that's what's I'm unpacking. And so Paul responds to that. He says, listen, I will boast about who I am in Christ in terms of my calling as an apostle because that's, what, that's about Jesus. That's not about me. And he said, secondly, when you build yourself up by comparing yourself to others, he said, you're being very foolish because in the end analysis, it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves; It matters what God thinks about us. And then he goes on to attack them because he says, listen, this area of Corinth, this church of Corinth, this God has assigned me to oversee this church. This is part of my field. He uses an agricultural metaphor. He said, you're coming in here kind of claiming authority to take this church in a different direction. God hasn't called you to that. It would be like me this morning kind of leaving here and going over to some other church in our community and coming in and starting to lead the church. It's like, I have authority here. God's called me to lead here, not called me to lead out there. I have no authority out there right? And so they're coming in and trying to take over this church. And Paul says, what are you doing? You have no authority here. And so, at the, and then the final two verses, let's jump down there as he wraps it up. And of course, remember now, they're boasting, they're proud, they're arrogant. And he says, verse 17, it's a quote from Jeremiah 9, which is one of his favorite verses in all the Old Testament. It says, but let him who boasts, boast in whom? The Lord. So let him who boasts, boast in whom? Like, so, so don't boast about yourself and your accomplishments and who you are. Boast about Jesus and what he's done. And, and of course, in Paul's case, Paul is boasting that he's called to be an apostle, which he was. And it wasn't about him. That was about the Lord. And then he says, for, for it's not the one who commends himself who is, who is approved, like these false teachers, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's not what you claim for yourself. It's what God claims is, is important, all right? And so, so that wraps up this first chapter. And so what Paul is, is saying, he's entering into this final section where he's gonna be defending himself against the claims of these new teachers. He's gonna be showing why they're wrong, kind of trying to, to pull the church away from them. This church is in tremendous spiritual danger of really walking away from Christ altogether and being deceived by Satan. We'll see that next week. And so Paul is really entering into it. He feels like a fool. Like, I don't wanna enter into this me against you thing but I, it's like desperate times call for desperate situations. And I'm going to have to roll up my sleeve and, and dive in and attack because, because I've got to save these people from going off the deep end. But in this process, uh, but what Paul does, he starts with, with introducing this concept of spiritual warfare. 
and that for us as followers of Jesus, if we're going to be transformed and live the life that, they, that God calls us to live or created to live, that we have to go through a process of, of learning to take every thought captive to Christ. We have to be renewed in our thinking. And can I say this right at the top now as we begin to kind of narrow it down and kind of focus in and, and get practical and talk about the principles. Can I say this? That this message I'm giving today, the content of this message, is some of the most important content you could ever hear in your life. Because here is the reality. In the church of Jesus in America, we are so sick and anemic. And I believe one of the great reasons is, is because while we've come to Christ and trusted him for our salvation, we have not allowed ourselves to be transformed in the way we think. And so what happens is that we, we you know, you, you, when, when Barna comes around and says, are you a Christian? When, the, when Gallup comes around and says, are you a Christian? Yes. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Yes. Do you believe that you, you need Jesus as your personal savior? If you say, yes. And so we, we check out as a, quote, Christian in the poll. But the reality is, is we've never been transformed. So like we still do our life like we did before we came to Christ. And as a result, there is very little difference between our lives and the lives of non-believers. And the world looks on and say, why should I follow your God? You don't even follow your God, right? And on top of that, why would I want to follow your God when you don't? Then I'd be a hypocrite just like you. I can be a hypocrite without you, right? So, so, the, so what happens is we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, we're, we're, we have this opportunity for transformation, but because we never learn to change the way we think, we don't, we're not experiencing transformation, you see? And, and so... So what we're going to do is, uh, as we go in today, there's a, a, a section there in your note sheet that's called Spiritual Warfare, the Battle for Your Mind. And what I want to do is just lay out a couple key principles that Paul hits on here, and then talk, uh, come back and ask a couple questions to see how we're doing. So here we go. Number one, the first principle is the most obvious, most clear, uh, but, but also extremely powerful, and it goes like this, that there is a battle. There's a battle for your mind. And so I want you to catch this, that what the Bible teaches, what the New Testament teaches, is, is that prior to coming cr to Christ, we are under the influence of Satan in our life. It says it over and over again. 1 John 5 says, we, we, you know, we, we've come to know him who's true, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you know, that you used, to, you used to be like the world around you, following the, the thoughts and desires of the prince of the power of the air. It's like this, 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 this kingdom right now is, is Satan's world, right? And so Jesus is breaking into it. His kingdom is breaking in. And when a man or woman comes to Christ, we transfer kingdoms, right? We, we step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and a transformation process starts in our life. Uh, it's like for the first time in our life, we begin to see clearly. It's like for the first time in our life, like the light begins to break through. Uh, several years ago, I was, uh, I was on a motorcycle trip uh, in Kansas. I was by myself. It was stormy weather. It was tornado weather. There was a tornado coming. I thought I could outrun it. Uh, and so I thought, well, it's got, how, it's, how fast is it going? Probably 80 miles an hour. I'm going 80. Well, probably good. And so uh, I, I'm racing, and it worked, my plan was working out well until I started running out of gas. And now I had to turn back because there was nothing, no gas stations. And, and now it got a little dicey. And then I got to the Burger King, then the roof came in because it hit, and then the whole thing was a different story. But on the way, as, I, as I'm going on this, I'm looking, it was the most eerie thing I'd ever seen, eerie and beautiful. I, I was driving, you know, no one's on the road, you're on an interstate, you're going, and it is completely black. If you can picture this, it's like black, like you've never seen in the middle of the day, like black, 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 but it comes down on the horizon like a big bowl has been put on the horizon, and then right at the edge, there is around the whole horizon, uh, of just right up from the earth, a band of bright blue. So it's bright blue breaking into this, this black. Well, when a man or woman comes to Christ, uh, it's like the bright blue begins to, you begin to break through for the first time. You begin to see for the very first time the truth about life. From that point on, spiritual warfare is on. You were under the control before, but from that moment, Satan is like, crud, I lost another one, right? You've come to Christ. But, but the thing is, now I need to mess with the way they think. Because if I can control the way they think, I've controlled it. See, we often think of spiritual warfare in terms of, oh, satanic, uh, de demonic oppression. Or so, and yes, that's very much a re reality. But can I tell you something? The, the primary way that Satan controls this world is through our thought processes. Like you look at our culture today, you see the direction we're going. 
the, the lack of integrity, the increase of sexual promiscuity, this concept that all paths lead to God. You just go on and on. You say, where does that come from? It comes from the prince of the power there. He controls our culture by controlling the thought patterns. And so when you come to Christ, Jesus begins to break through that. He begins to bring truth into, into your life, and you begin to get set free. But in, or, in order to continue that process of freedom, we have lot, we've got to learn to do what Paul says. We've got to learn to take every thought, every opinion, every perspective, every priority, every value system, every mindset, and we need to drag it into the presence of Jesus, King Jesus, and say, Jesus, this is what I've always believed about marriage. This is what I've always believed about parenting. This is what I believed about a salvation. This is what I believed about God. This is what I believed about finance. This is what I believed about. I'm bringing it all under your presence, and I'm saying, can you help me sort this out and show me what is true and what isn't true? And as we bring every perspective, every mindset, and we go through like a major mental makeover, right, what happens then is we get set free. And we, but if we don't go through this process, we never get set free. So, so let me give you an example. Here's a person, they've come to Jesus, right? They've received his Holy Spirit. They, they believe in him. They're coming here to church. But the model, that they, they, the way they've handled their finances, their whole life has been modeled poorly for them. They had parents that were irresponsible and always in debt, and they couldn't pay their bills, and that's, they just kind of always spent more, and that's what they've seen their whole life. So they've come to Jesus, but they're, they're now, they've, not allowed, they've not brought their money under Jesus' control. And so what happens? They love Jesus. They come here to church. They're, they're growing in other ways, but the financially, their life is still a mess, right? They're still worrying all the time about finances. They don't have money to pay their bills. And it's not because they don't have a job or they're just spending too much, right? They've never learned to give. They've never learned to, to save. They've never learned. So they're a follower of Jesus, but financially, they're messed up. Are you with me? And because of that, there's all these things that God wants to do in life he can't do because of the finances, Someone else, that they, they've come to Christ, right? And but they were raised and their parents had a really dysfunctional marriage. The, the husband, the father, their father was very mean-spirited to the wife, often critical, sarcastic, putting her down, harsh, right? So he's come to Jesus, he's here, he's in a life group, he's, but, but when, when you're around him, he's always cutting down his wife, he's always sarcastic, he's always making, kind of taking her down a peg, he's, he's when something like this is harsh, and what's going on? It's like he's come to Jesus, but he's never learned to rethink his way he does uh, his, his life as a husband, you see? And, and so, and if you talk to him, often he will be defensive about this. What? It wasn't that bad. No, it's not that he'll be defensive. So what needs to happen? He needs to come under the authority of Jesus, and Jesus says, don't be harsh for your wives, but treasure them and treat them as equal partners uh, and heirs of life, and otherwise your prayers will be hindered. He needs to bring it under the authority of Jesus, and he needs to say, you know what? This is the way I used to think about marriage, but I was wrong. I was deceived, and it's destroying my marriage, and it's modeling poorly for my kids, and it's not modeling well for the kingdom, and so I need to bring that thought under the authority of Jesus. Are you with me here? That unless we do this, unless we learn to bring every thought, every opinion under the authority of Jesus, we can be saved, but we're not transformed. And our lives can still be a mess. And so that's what Paul says here in chapter uh, 10 and verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments. Of course, he's talking about his own ministry now. Uh, as an apostle, but the principle applies to, I think, all of us as Christ followers. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And as we take our thoughts and we bling it, and, and I'm not just talking about, oh, that was a wrong thought, get that, catch that one. I'm talking about our whole perspective. We bring it under these, the authority of Jesus, then we're set free. And we begin to experience the life that he has for us. Now, there's a great example of this in Romans chapter 12. It's there in your note sheet. One of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. Paul is talking about when we come to Jesus, we give him our life. In verse 1, he talks about being a living sacrifice, uh, kind of giving all we have to Christ. 
But in verse 2, he talks about the transformation process that, you know, when you came to Jesus, you started, by definition, a transformation process. If you're a believer here, God has a plan for your life. It is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. It's a whole new way of lifestyle. It's a whole new, whole, whole new He's got this plan, and he wants to transform you so you can experience this new life that he died to give you. I mean, he was crucified to set you free. And so he wants to, now here's how this happens. And so in verse 2, he says, uh, I'm, there in your note sheet, Romans 12, 2, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this what? World. Okay, so, so this world out there has a pattern. In the Greek, it's the word schema. It's a scheme of things. It, it's a philosophy. It's a value system, and, and so on. Th- this world has a schema. You know, this, this week, there's been this big, uh, kind of big, big hubbub, kind of big to-do over Chick-fil-A. Have you, have you followed this at all? And so uh, Chick-fil-A says, you know what? We're a Christian company, and so, so we're going to have certain standards in terms of same-sex marriage, and we support that and all. As followers of Jesus, we don't do that. We, we love everyone. You're welcome in our restaurant, but we, we don't believe that's right. And, and there's this big eruption, right? Uh, no surprise. Get used to it. Can I tell you something? The more our culture gets in the darkness, the more unpopular you're going to get, right, if you're following Jesus, because this world is at odds with Jesus. This world is at odds with the kingdom of God. So get used to it. If you want to be popular, join something else, right? Jesus said, if the world hates you, you're right on track. And the reason is there's a truth. There's a truth. And the truth is that our sexuality was meant to, to draw one man and one woman together for a lifetime of love and commitment. And any kind of sexuality outside of that is destructive. And that's the truth. You see? And so, it's so, so whatever the issue, that's just one issue. But, and there's a million of them. Do not, conform, um, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed. God wants to transform you by the what? The renewing of your mind. That's what has to happen. The renewal happens as we change the way we think, as we're open to God changing. He says, then, at that point, catch that. You might want to underline, then, at that point, you'll be able to test and approve. I like the word uh, experience or uh, demonstrate uh, what God's will is. See, God's got a will for you. And he says, it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. But in order to experience this whole new life that God has for you, you have to be transformed in the way you think. If you don't, you won't be transformed, and you won't experience the renewal. Okay, so, uh, so this was the problem in the church of Corinth. They had come to Christ, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but they had not allowed God to transform the way they thought. So in their culture... Their culture was big on success, big on entrepreneurial success, big on public speaking, big on human philosophy, big on unbridled sensuality, sexuality. Uh, uh, This is what they were big on. The Corinthians have come to Christ, but they have not changed the way they thought. So what happens? When new teachers come in with a new message, oh, you don't need to suffer for Jesus, you can be successful for Jesus. When the new people come, they come in and it's like, hey, why are you listening to Paul? He's not a very good speaker. You know how important speaking is. When they they come in changing everything, the Corinthians are falling for it and their lives are being destroyed as a result because they've never learned to change the way that they thought. Okay, and so if we're going to experience the the plan that, that God has for us, then we have to change at every level, bring it under the authority of Jesus. Now, number two. Uh, the second big principle that jumps out at me from this passage is that the Word of God is our weapon. That in this spiritual warfare, it is really the Word of God that sets us free. It's the Word of God that's our primary weapon. Like if you ask me, well, Mike, well, how does this work? How do our minds get renewed? I would say the primary weapon the Holy Spirit uses is His Word to renew our mind. And the reason is, is the Word brings us the truth about life. The truth about God, the truth about us, the word uh, sets us free. And so this is what's going on in Corinth. They're getting way off track, so what's Paul doing? He's bringing them the word of God. We call it the letter of 2 Corinthians. He's bringing them the truth. He's reminding them it's not about how, what a person says, how, how funny a person is or what a gifted speaker is. It's about are they bringing the truth? Like, you don't evaluate a leader by, like, oh, there's just like, you know, just such an amazing speaker, you know? Yeah, but what did they say? 
I mean, you look at this across our nation. Many times the, the people that are most popular are like the things they're teaching are horrible, but they're saying it really well. You see? So we've got some of Corinth in us as a nation, don't we? Uh, and so, so he, he's, he's coming against them. He's saying, hey, look, no, no, no. This, you're thinking like this. Here's the word of God. Here's what God would say. Here's God's reality. And here, here needs to be your reality. And so, so he brings the truth uh, up into their situation. Now, there's a great example of this in John chapter 17, how the word is our weapon. Let's, let me set it up. In John chapter 17, you have Jesus. Uh, it's the last night. He's with his men before he's arrested. And uh, so he wants to prepare them. He knows that the moment he leaves, he's turning over his movement to them. And he knows there's going to be a major spiritual attack from Satan to try to destroy this movement before it gets started. And so he's praying for his men in, in the context of spiritual warfare. And I want you to see what, what Jesus prays. There in note sheet, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Like Jesus is about to leave the world. Uh, he says, that's not my prayer. You take them out or put them in a monastery. But my prayer is that you'd protect them from whom? The evil ones. So Jesus, I'm pr- praying for my men. Father, you need to protect them from the evil one. Now, how's God going to do that? So here's what he says. It says, sanctify them, which is sort of a, a biblical word for uh, set them apart or purify them or make them holy. In other words, kind of protect them from him uh, by the what? Sanctify them by the what? The truth. So catch this. It is the truth that sanctifies. It's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that protects. Like, like what? How, how do you protect this marriage from going bad, where you have the husband who's being harsh and critical of his wife, and she's shutting down, and so now they're living parallel lives, and their kids are seeing that model, and they're on the verge of a divorce, and the conflict is rising. How do you, how do you break through that spiritual warfare? You break through by bringing truth to bear. And the Holy Spirit begins bringing truth through the word, like Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Lay down your lives for her. Love her as Christ loved the church. You, you don't, like, command her. You don't try to rule over her like you're some, the big shot of the family. Like, being head of the family doesn't mean you always get the big piece and you're the boss. And that's not what it means. Being head means you, you're going to lay down your life for your wife and you're going you're gonna to love her well so she can be all that she could be. That's what it means. And so what happens when that word comes in, it sets us free from the lie, doesn't it? And now that, that man can begin, now he's set free to begin to love his wife and she begins to blossom because she finally feels love and communication begins to, to spring forth and she's now a priority in his life and, and that relationship begins to be changed, begins to blossom and now the kids begin to feel it and there's peace in the family and the next generation's being affected. And how did it happen? It had to, by the word of God. The word of God sets free. It, it brings truth to bear. And so Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. And then look what he says next. He says, your word is what? Truth. And so for Jesus, the ultimate source of truth, the final authority in his life is the word. And so as we, as we come into the, the word has the power then to set us free. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, which is the most famous passage on spiritual warfare in the New Testament, where he talks about, you know, as, as Christ's followers, uh, put on the belt of truth, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, till the shield of faith. But in that passage, the very last thing he says uh, in terms of weaponry is in verse 17. And he says in verse 17, there in your note sheet, take the sword of the home, the spirit. There's the Holy Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. Why? Because it's the word that, that's creative. Like, like when God created the world, how did he do that? By speaking it. See, when, when God wanted you to become a Christian, he caused you to be born again. We're told that you were, you were born again through the living and abiding word of God. It was through his word that he spoke into your life. The darkness shattered and you came to Christ. The word of God is creative. It is powerful. It is releasing. And so Paul says, hey, when you're in spiritual war from Satan, he says you hold on to that weapon that God has given us, this word of God that sets us free. That's your primary weapon, all right? So, so, so let's kind of, kind of stand back where we've been, that, that God calls us into relationship with him, that we're given the gift of his spirit. We start a transformation process. 
But the key to this process is learning to, li- to, to listen and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and not just in specifics, but allowing him to recreate our minds. We change the way we think. And then and only then are our minds renewed, our lives transformed, and we experience God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Okay, so that's where we've been. The primary weapon in this is the word of God. Now, two couple, a couple practical questions for you then. Number one. There in your note sheet, spiritual warfare, two, two key questions. The first one is the most obvious. It's an obvious uh, question. It's not an easy answer. And here we go. The word, is the word a high priority in your life? Is the word a high priority? If you're sitting here today, scale one to ten, would you say, hey, the word and, and spending time in the word and getting the word into my life is a high priority? And this is so important because as we've seen, The word is the primary tool, not the only tool, but the primary to, tool that, that God uses to renew our mind. It's the primary thing. It's the primary thing. He uses. So the question is, in your life, is that a, uh, is that a, a priority for, for you? Um, because the reality is, is I think as followers of Jesus, as we're all here, I think we can all be honest about this, that, that intuitively, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know this. Intuitively, you know that the word's important. Uh, and intuitively, you know that we should be making this a priority. But I think if we're honest, that we can admit that we all get off track at this sometimes, don't we? That, that remember that at the beginning of the year, we started this series called The Simple Life. Remember that? And, and it was all about priorities. And, and remember the, the, the principle we learned is that if you want to put the first things first, you have to put the first things first. And the whole point of this series is, is often we don't. We get distracted. And so we live in a culture today that's constantly screaming at us with lies about life. And the question is, how, does, how do you get set free? How do, you, how do you win that war? Well, you have to have times and places in your life that you're working the word into your life. Like, for example, uh, uh, let's, just, let's start with just kind of some simple examples. Uh, uh, the weekend services here at Rocky Peak or wherever you normally go to church. Weekend services. Um, is, is that a high priority for you to be here? Now, for many of you, I know it is. That, that's, yes, it's like you don't come to the weekend and say, hey, do you want to go to church today? You may ask, like, which service do you want to go? But, but it's like, you, you know, you're coming. It's just part of your routine, okay? But for many, in a church this size, there's many of us who don't do that. Many of us, we go through a life like this. It's kind of like uh, we decide based on what else is happening in our life, how busy we are, uh, what else other opportunities there are, whether the waves are up, uh, you know, whatever the thing is, we, we decide on any given weekend, are, are we going to church? There's many people in a church like this. Every four weeks you come to church, every six weeks. Sometimes when life is going really bad, oh, it's time to get back to church. Uh, sometimes it's when it's really good, oh, I feel like going to church. So it's different things, but, but here's, here's the deal. This, this is not about coming to this church because, because reality is if, if when you come, to this church, if you sense God speaking, if you sense the word of God speaking to you, then this is a great place for you to be. If you don't hear it here, find a place that does. Right? It's not about here. But what I'm saying is that what happens here is very important because we're gathering together. It's spiritual warfare. This is our base camp. This is our military headquarters. We are gathering here each week to hear our commander, hear the orders from our commander in chief. That's, that's what we're doing. And, and so what happens as we come in here is, is the word is going forth. And, and so many of you tell me this all the time. I'll, I'll meet you or talking. You're saying, Mike, when you're up there talking, it feels like you're speaking just to me. It feels like it's just, like, it's just for me. And the reality is it's, not, it's really not about me. It's really what's going on is the Holy Spirit's taking his word and saying this is how it applies to you. And that's why it feels so personal because it is personal. It's Jesus is taking his word and saying, this is what you need to get out of this message. Now, what happens when we only come every fourth week, every sixth week, where it's not a priority? What happens, it's kind of like only eating periodically, which none of us probably have a problem with. But, but if you can imagine that, uh, it's, it's like that. It's, you know, Jesus said, he quoted from Deuteronomy, he says that man should not live by, does not live by bread alone. He, he lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, you and I are designed to run on the word of God and the truth that's delivered from the word of God. This last week, I, I went to Starbucks. It was Tuesday night. I got home. 
My daughter had uh, twisted her ankle, and so Lynn had gone over to help her. I got home, worked out, took a shower. Now it's about 9 o'clock. She's still over there. I said, I'm going to go to Starbucks. So I get on my motorcycle, beautiful night, ride to Starbucks. Got my evening planned out. I'm going to read a book, right? So I'm there. I'm, I'm sitting at Starbucks. Got, I'm about two pages in, and all of a sudden, I feel like the Holy Spirit's calling me. I feel like he wants me to spend some time in his word. Honestly, I didn't want to do it. I liked the book. I was doing go. But I was like, okay, you know, you, you're calling. I'll, I'll follow you. And sure enough, have a great time. So in about an hour, several different passages come to mind, just reading, just kind of richly being poured into, right? And as, I, as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking about this. You know, the word is like a window to reality. That, that in our lives, if you picture our lives like a house, the word are like the windows in our house. That where you get to see out and you see life clearly for what it is. And now you know, okay, now I know what to do this week. Now I know where to go. Now I know to change the thing to make. Now I need you know, what needs to happen. And, and so, so what happens is when we come here on the weekend services and the word is being taught, and it doesn't matter if it's Joel or Dave or me, when the word is being taught and God is opening your eyes, there's a powerful dynamic that's going on there. You're getting a healthy dose of truth. And that truth, if you respond to the truth, it will change your life. It will transform you. And that's why it's so important that we make being here uh, a priority. And it's so, you can imagine, like, if you're only here every four or six weeks, what happens? You come get a healthy dose of truth, and then you get away, and about a week later, you've forgotten it, you know? And you're getting all these wrong messages at you all the time, and now you're making bad choices, and your perspective is getting skewed, and now you're getting very weak again. And so you go through this cycle of you get a shot of, of truth, and then you get really weak, and then you go through, come back six weeks, and you shot of truth. You see what I'm saying? And we never get transformed that way. We need a steady influx of truth into our life to transform us. Uh, but it's not just coming to church. How about this? When you come here on the weekend, what is your attitude in coming? You know, for some, I, I know that the attitude can be, well, I hope so-and-so speaking, because he's my favorite, right? It's usually Joel. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, you know, or, or it, could be, it could be like this, you know, it could be like, uh, it could be like, oh man, I hope Mike's better than last week, that was horrible. Or it could be like, it could be like, um, well, I hope this isn't boring again. Or it could be like, you know, so we come in with kind of a consumer mindset oftentimes, you know, as if this is a show, right? Like we're in Corinth, we're coming to hear a speaker, and I hope he's funny, and I, that kind of thing. No, no, what we're doing as a church is we're gathering around commander-in-chief, and here's what we're saying. Here's our attitude every week coming in. It should be this. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Do, do, do you remember this, like, this story back in Samuel when he was a little boy and, and God began to speak to him for the first time. He's going to be a prophet. And he, and he speaks to him, Samuel, and he goes in to talk to his mentor, Eli, the priest. Why'd you call me? I didn't call you. It happens three times. Finally, the priest catches on. Hey, next time, say this. And when God spoke that, that fourth time, here's what Samuel said. He said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Men and women, every time we come in this place, we should come in our knees and we say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And as we receive that truth and then we act on that truth, it's a power to transform our lives. And so is the word a high priority? It's not just the weekend services. You know, are you in a small group? Are you in a life group? Are you in some kind of study where you're, you're gathered around the word and, and with other believers unpacking it together? How, how about your own personal life with God? You know, for, for us as believers, I'm, I'm not a big believer. I, I don't believe like every believer every day you have to be in the word. I think different people are wired different ways and whatever works for you. But I do believe that every week we should have regular times, significant times where we're hearing from. Why? Because we need a dose of truth. We need a dose, of, and if, that, if we're not getting that regular dose of truth, we won't be transformed. This is why when we started our essentials courses here, which is one of our, you know, these eight courses that we've designed that tackle topics we believe are absolutely essential for walking well with God. Our very first one, it's now online, is pursuing God one-on-one. -on -one. Because I believe it's so important that we develop this pattern of spending time with God in his word. And I'm not talking about a verse a day keeps the devil away. I'm not talking about get the shot in my arm. Well, that's encouraging. No, I'm talking about spending some time where we're really letting the word and the teaching, the truth of the word, kind of pour over our lives and transform us, speak to us, change us. Uh, and, and so 
Uh, we created that course because I, I feel like for so many believers, they've tried this and it just doesn't work or they can't figure out how to do it. I just like, we need a really practical course that helps people to figure out based on the way God's wired them, how does this work, you know? And that course has been life-changing for so many of you. And so I encourage you, the resources there. You can start at any time. Um, so, so it comes out in a variety of ways, but is it a priority? The number two, oh, let me say this. The, the, the question is, is it a priority for you? Because here's what I can promise you. It is, a, it is a high priority for your great enemy to keep you from the word. Uh, are you with me on this? He knows what Jesus said. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He knows what the battle plans are. He knows what our primary, enemy, uh, prim- primary weapon is. And he will do whatever he can to keep that weapon out of your life because he knows it's that truth that will set you free. And then this, the second question is, is the word your ultimate authority? And your life, not only is the word a high priority, but is the word your ultimate authority? Like for Jesus, the word was his ultimate authority on what he believed, what he did, what he taught. Let me give you an illustration. There's so many, but I think of when Jesus, uh, after his baptism, was ready to start his ministry. Holy Spirit comes on him, leads him out into the wilderness, and he spends about a month and a half there just to prepare his heart for this amazing ministry. And so he's he's fasting, he's praying. It's also a time of spiritual warfare. At the end of that time, Satan comes to attack him with three final attacks. And, And with those three temptations, every time Jesus responded the exact same way, And he responded with three words every time. And some of you will remember them. Do you remember what they were? There you go. It is written. Right? Satan comes, tries to deceive, tries to steal, tries to destroy, tries to derail. Every time, Jesus just answers with a quote from Deuteronomy. I believe that Jesus has been meditating on Deuteronomy all month long. Because Deuteronomy is all about uh, Israel and the wilderness starting off their, their lives with God and how they failed miserably because they didn't listen to the word. And, and I think Jesus had been meditating. So every one of his quotes came from Deuteronomy. The three temptations come. Turn the stones into bread. You've been eating. You haven't eaten. It is written. You know, jump off the top of the temple. Impress people. Show them you're the Messiah. If you're really the son of God, it is written. Kneel down, worship me, I'll give you the, all, this whole kingdom without going through the cross. It is what? Written. Let me ask you something. Are you an it is written person or are you a I think person? Because so many times, even as believers, we go through life and we say, well, well here's what I think. I don't care what you think. I care what's written. Right? What, what do you care? When you're making a decision, what you believe or what you do, what matters more, what you think or what is written? What's your final authority? Can I tell you something? That for many Christ followers, and I use that term loosely, but for many Christ followers, we treat the word of God as if it's a spiritual advice column. And then we can't figure out why our lives aren't working. So here's what we do. We, we take the word and we say, God, I'm trying to figure out what to do in this area of my finances. And so we kind of like, huh, well, that's interesting. Huh. Hey, well, thanks a lot. Oh, that's good. That's great, great. Good, good take. That's good. I think I'll do it a little differently, but thanks, right? And then, we, then we come, okay, so God, what do you think I should do in this area of relationships? That's so awesome. Man, that's beautiful. That's really good. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. That's great. God, you really nailed that one. And so what we do is we go through life kind of like a Dear Abby column, saying, God, what do you say about this? And we pick and choose which ones we follow. And then, we can't, we can't, then we're surprised. We can't figure out why our lives are often so messed up in these areas we don't follow. Remember what Jesus said? He said, it's the truth that what? Let, let's, let's look what he actually said there. There in your note sheet, in chapter 8 of John is where that passage comes from. And he's teaching a group of new believers, and he says, if you hold to my teaching, and and in the Greek it says, if you remain in my word, 
okay? Like you remain, you stick with, you follow. That's why they translate, if you hold on to it. Like hold on to dear life, you're gonna follow it. If you hold on to my word, then you're really my disciples. So if you wanna know whether you're serious about being a follower of Jesus, you say, well, do you follow? That's the point, okay? And then he says, and then, and underline that then, at that point, circle it, then you will know the what? The truth, and the truth will set you what? So catch it, there's a progression. The progression is, if you're serious about following me, you'll hold on to my word, you'll follow my word, and then, once you hold on to my word, come hell or high water, then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free, right? What happens if we don't hold on to his word? Well, then we'll never know the truth, and we'll never be set free, you see? So, so often we think it's just by hearing the word that we get set free. It's not by hearing, it's by holding on and following. And as we hold on and follow, then life gets clear to us. Ha- have you ever been in a situation like this? And I know I'm going long, but I don't even care. I do care, but I'm, I've confessed it now, so I'm going on. Uh, <laughs> have you ever been in a situation in your life where you know God is asking you to do something, it's really clear, and you don't want to do it? Have you ever been there? Okay, and it doesn't make any sense to you, right? Have you ever been there? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem right. And you do it anyway. And then you look back and it suddenly makes a lot of sense. Have you ever been there? Why? Because you have to do the truth before you can know the truth. You have to obey the word before it gets clear. And the most important decisions in life, if you wait until it's all clear how it's going to work out, you'll never get set free. You have to hold on to the word and do the word, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth sets you free. Does that make sense? Okay. And so, just wrapping this whole thing up then. God calls us into relationship with Jesus Christ. He was crucified so that we could be set free. We come into relationship with Jesus, we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, who can change us from the inside out, transform us, we start a transformation process. In order to be transformed, we have to listen and follow, and one of the most important things is we have to allow him to transform our minds, be renewed by the word. And as we listen and follow, Step by step, we take every thought, every opinion, every perspective. It's a process over time. We bring it under under the authority of Jesus. We win the war, we're set free, and we live the life that is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, as we come today, uh, we just thank you for your word that is our path to life. God, we, we, we think of what your word says, that these words I'm giving you today are your life. I think of the words of Jesus where he said, the words I'm giving you are spirit and life. And God, today we want to be a church. We want to be people that embrace the word and let it speak truth into our life and then, and then bring us to a place of freedom. And so God, we pray that, that uh, if, there's a, if we've kind of gotten distracted and the word's not a priority in whatever way, that you would help us to realign uh, we pray that if there's an area of our life we've been obedient in some areas, but there's certain areas we've just said no. We've treated your word as if it's a spiritual advice column, and then we can't figure out why life is working, that we'd see today why that is, and that we, we would begin to let your word be the final authority, let us set us free. And God, as we move into worship now, God, we just pray as we sing this song about responding to you, listening to your call, spending that time with you, letting you transform us and renew us. We pray that you would meet with us now. You would come to us as we come to you, as we repent, as we surrender, as we invite. We pray you'd come. We pray you use these gifts and offering that we're bringing as a, as, as, a, uh, as a means to bring your word, not only to this church, but to the communities we serve in around the world, that we would be a, a, a mouthpiece, a place where your word goes, goes forth power. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. And that's the message Paul is bringing that Jesus has come to be crucified, that we be set free, and that freedom comes from his word. 
I was thinking about the end of the first service last night, the Saturday night service, and it just dawned on me, it's up here the final word. I mean, this is his name, right? This Jesus, this is his name. You remember that famous verse in John? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory. So the story of Jesus on planet Earth begins. You know how the story ends. He comes riding back on the white horse, and he's got this big tattoo on his side with his name. And his name is the Word of God. And so, in his Word, Jesus is coming to us. That's why it is power. That we're reading his Word when the Holy Spirit's opening our eyes. Jesus is coming. He's speaking. He's liberating. He's breaking through the darkness. He's saying, come and follow me. And so when we neglect the word, the sad reality that we wish it were not true is that we're neglecting Jesus. And when we don't follow the word, the sad reality is we're not following Jesus because he is the word. And so our prayer, my prayer for you would be that you would be, you'd follow this one who is crucified, that you might be set free. This word made flesh that speaks through his written word to us brings truth that may you follow that. May it be your final authority. May you make it a priority that you'd have regular doses of truth dripping into your life, flowing through your life that would restore, refresh, renew, and transform. And then I hope you can join us next week, even those of you who often only come every six weeks. Uh, I, I hope you can join us because next week we continue this topic of spiritual warfare. And what Paul is going to say is that the number one the number one tactic of the enemy is to tear us away from Jesus. Uh, he says, it, he says, I fear that for you Corinthians, I'm, I'm so afraid that though I, I, I promised you as your, as your spiritual father to your bridegroom, Jesus, as a, as a beautiful bride that would be pure, a, a virgin, I'm, I'm afraid that just as, as Satan deceived Eve, that you are being deceived right now away from the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. And that's exactly what he wants to do. And all of his deception, doesn't care how he does it, pull us away from Jesus, the one who can set us free. So I hope you can join us as we continue this journey. We talk more about spiritual warfare. And until then, may the word who is made flesh, the word who will come again and rescue us with his name written on his side, may that word be with you fresh and alive. May he be speaking powerfully. May you be listening and maybe you be following, that you make an experience of freedom that you are created to have. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week and love you. Have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening.